Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number, well, I guess the episode number depends on what you're following us on. If you're the video person, this is episode number two. If you're the audio person, well, we fucked that up. So it's episode number one over there. I am your host this evening. I am Jacob Westendorf, and joined with me is Adam Westendorf, and we got Yankees baseball to talk about. This episode of the Bronx Brothers is brought to you by Portillo's Hot Dogs, the unofficial sponsor of the Bronx Brothers, and I call them the unofficial sponsor because I didn't fucking ask them to sponsor the show, so I'm going to guess they'll like the free advertisement, though, so there you go. We had Portillo's for dinner tonight, a little Italian beef, a little French fries, and a little Bronx Bombers baseball. Yep, we're ready to talk some Yankees baseball. We got some early off-season news that we're ready to jump into. Uh, we might as well start by bringing it up. Aroldis Chapman wants an extension. Yeah, so John Heyman reported today that Aroldis Chapman would like to stay with the Yankees, and he would like to add a year or maybe two at the back end of what he currently has, which is a two-year deal uh, worth about $17 million dollars. Per season, obviously, if Chapman leaves, the lasting image is going to be that goofy smile he had on his face after giving up a home run to Jose Altuve. I'm curious as to what the Yankees will do. Typically, they haven't negotiated an extension. I remember the last time that they had a situation like this, it was Masahiro Tanaka after the 2017 playoffs where he was playoff Tanaka and just absolute nails. Yankees said they had no interest in pursuing an extension. Uh, it just ended up being that Tanaka didn't want to opt out of his contract, so he stuck around. This time, it's a little different. Uh, Chapman has been obviously very good since coming to the Yankees. Uh, has his baggage, for lack of better phrasing. I think that's the way we're going to keep that. Unfortunately, you know, that's uh, part of his story. So that's that's all we're going to say as far as that goes. But uh, $17 million a season. He's been one of the best closers in baseball. Very good in the playoffs. I know that, you know, his playoffs didn't end the way that we would have liked them to. But otherwise, for the most part, since coming to the Bronx, he's been very good in postseason games. Uh, no complaints on that end, uh, obviously, outside of the one big low light uh, in that regard. But Chapman is getting a little bit older. His velocity did dip this season. Now, he kind of combated that with, becoming a better user of his slider. Uh, but, you know, he's he's not the same fire-breathing, blow-you-away Araldis Chapman. And I say that as he's topped out at like 102 this season. So, I mean, there's still some gas in that left arm. It's just not quite what it used to be, I guess. And that's something that's only, you would imagine, going to get worse. Uh, didn't have any injury issues or anything like that throughout the course of the season. So, that was encouraging. He has struggled in the past, you know, some knee issues, a shoulder issue for a little bit. Uh, and the Yankees had a phantom injury that one year where he lost his closer job and put him on the DL. But uh, otherwise, I mean, where are you at with this, I guess, to start? Do you want them to just add an extension and say, fuck it? Or, I mean, what do you think happens in terms of should the Yankees, let's just start with the small term. Should they add an, a year? or two to Chapman's deal? I think they should add two. Okay. Because that, that's what's going to get the deal done. He's not going to want a one-year extension. He's going to want at least two for some security, right? And you've said it already. He's been good since he's gotten to New York. So, I mean, yeah, you have to think about, okay, his velocity is going to continue to dip, but, okay, he's not sitting at 
101 anymore. He's sitting at like 98, 99. That's still good enough. And he's throwing a slider for strikes, which is a huge plus going forward. And the Yankees like to build their team on bullpen. So who would you rather have that's in the free agent market? Because, I mean, let's be honest, we don't know who's ever on the trade market for sure. Nope. Um, if Chapman hits the reliever market, he's the best reliever on the market. Yep. And we build our team that way, so why not just extend him, keep him happy, and move on? Oh, part of me wonders if they're going to build differently. Uh, part of me thinks that they won't. You know, one issue this year that I don't think I've talked about enough as far as Yankees relievers go, you know, you had the four horsemen, Ottavino, Canely, Britton, Chapman, and then Chad Green in there, obviously, as well. Outside of those guys, the other pitchers were just dismal. Like, how many games, I mean, and I'm sure that there's a way to look this up, we just haven't found it, but how many games this year did you see where the Yankees had a five-run lead and Canely had to warm up? Or Chapman had to warm up. You know, those are kind of the hidden things that don't show up when a player looks gassed at the end of the season. I call it the Paul Quantrill thing. You guys remember 2004. Everybody remembers how it ended. But you've got Tom Gordon, Paul Quantrill, (laughs) and Mariano Rivera at the end of that season. And Quantrill and Tom Gordon, Rivera was Rivera. He's, you know, I know he blew the one save in game four. He gets credit with a blown save in game five, but that wasn't really his fault. Um, It's hard to blame him for that, but Quantrill and Gordon were gassed by the end of the year. And I think the same sort of thing happened there. Getting back to the original point about Chapman, you know, if you look at it, Craig Kimbrell is probably a good starting point. He got what, three for 45, I think when he came now, granted his situation was a little bit different. Uh, There is at least some sign of him declining, the Red Sox, the team that had him, had zero interest in bringing him back for a team that's bullpen was, frankly, really fucking terrible. So that doesn't add well for him. But three for 45, that's $15 million a season. That's where I think a one-year extension might actually get the job done. And if you just add a year, so it's I think they said right now he has two years, $30 million remaining on his contract. Add one year for $17 million with some incentives or something like that, if you're going to do that. Now let's go to if they don't do that, which is what I think we both suspect will happen. If he opts out, what percentage chance are you giving that he comes back to the Yankees? 50%. Okay. So I think it's 50-50 because he opts out, they give him the qualifying offer, he declines. Right. If they're not going to pony up like we've seen that they've done in the past off seasons, um then he'll go elsewhere. I mean, he wants his money. Like, he knows that it's getting down to the point where, okay, this is my maybe my last chance to cash in, right? Right. So he has to take the money where it is, right? So if we're not going to pony up, then he's going to walk. It's plain and simple as that. Well, it remains to be seen what they'll do. I, I think 50% is fair. There's got to be some shitty team out there that doesn't have a bullpen that has money to spend. Maybe the Angels come to mind. As somebody that Joe Madden's coming there, they're going to be a bidder for Garrett Cole. They're, I mean, they have to be wanting to get Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and mainly Mike Trout. Yeah. The fact that Mike Trout doesn't play in the playoffs is a travesty for baseball, even though baseball's marketing is so bad that I don't think that they would even pretend like it was even a big deal if he was playing in the postseason. But, yeah, I don't – I would say 50% is probably fair. 
I wonder if it gets lower than that. Um, it's hard to say because, you know, the Yankees are looking at right now, if Chapman leaves, Batances is certainly not a guarantee to come back. And you're talking about a team that, yeah, that has been built around their bullpen. Now, granted, I don't know what their plans are and how they plan to add. And I mean, last offseason, I think you had a pretty good inkling of what their plans were. Uh, you thought they would trade for a starting pitcher. There weren't any free agent starters really worth going after. Although, in future episodes, we're going to talk about what they should have done instead of signing Jay Happ, which I kind of first guessed in that regard. But that's beside the point. Um, you know, so you kind of knew that, you know, Zach Britton was going to be back and they were going to probably pursue Adovino or one of these other relievers. Uh, and they were able to bring both of those guys in. Now, we thought that they were going to pursue Harper or Machado, and they didn't really do that. But for the most part, I think you felt that way. This offseason is interesting just because, as you've mentioned, you know, Hal Steinbrenner, and this isn't uh, the 2008 Yankees anymore. And somebody, I think, wrote, and I kind of talked about it in our first episode, how if if the Yankees, if this was 2008, they would be going for the kill. And what I mean by that is Francisco Lindor and Garrett Cole. And Joel Sherman wrote a story about that in the New York Post. That's the kind of move that I would think that they would be making. This isn't those Yankees anymore. <laughs> and it really hasn't been for quite some time. And I know that sounds crazy because they've spent a lot of money, but it's really true. I mean, when's the last time the guy in free agency landed in New York? I think you can go... There was that one spending spree they had with like Ellsbury and Brian McCann. And okay, I mean, I suppose you could use that. Otherwise, we're going back to CC Sabathia. Mm -hmm. And that was 10 years ago. So that's interesting. Uh, I think if you're going to beat the the apex predator, the thorn in your side, although it was really nice to see them lose to, to Washington. They lost all four fucking home games. There was not a home win in that series. Yeah, but I'm happy general. that I'm happy that the Astros lost four. But it was glorious. That's just wild. Like yeah, oh yeah, crazy. Win. No, crazy. <laughs> and it's funny because you go through the year, and through the year, everybody that thinks they know everything, and this is why I love sports, right? You go through the whole year and you're like, oh, Yankees, Astros, Dodgers. The likelihood of the World Series champion coming from one of those three is pretty high. While the Dodgers get eliminated in the first round by the Nationals, more on them in a minute. The Nationals breeze into the World Series. The Yankees and Astros kind of slug it out for six games, and then the Astros blow it. I mean, that's really – you're up 3-2 going home. You have Verlander pitching, and you can use Garrett Cole in relief in game seven. And one, you don't even fucking use him, which is crazy to me. Two, you lose the game. Like, not only do you not use Cole, but you lose the game. It's very, very simple to me. Don't make baseball harder than it really is. Who's your best pitcher? Garrett Cole. Okay, he goes on the mound to start the seventh inning then. if Because that's when they pulled Grinky eventually after he gave up the home run to Rendon. So, nice to see the Astros lose. Chapman's going to be an interesting story, I think. Uh, the Yankees have typically been more willing to spend on relievers. They spent the big money on Chapman the first time, obviously. They spent the money... Uh, to get Zach Britton. Uh, Adovino was a pretty nice-sized contract. So maybe they'll do that. Maybe they won't if their plans are to pursue one of the big starters, which we'll see if that is in their plans as this offseason progresses. And we'll talk more about those things as we get close to the winter meetings. Because right now, I mean, I'm seeing some fans, and they're fun exercises. I'm not going to knock anybody for it. But doing a offseason plan really doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me at this point in time. I think we can discuss some things 
as it relates to the offseason. For example, what do they do with John Carl Stanton? The answer is nothing, by the way. Just throwing that out there. The answer is nothing. Uh, what do they do with Gary Sanchez? The answer is also probably nothing. Just throwing that out there too, guys. But let's you know get to that here in a minute. Pitching wise, obviously they're they're going to add. Um, you know they've got some money coming off the books in 2020. Well, 2021 is what it would be then um, for the 2021 season, I should say. So they could add and plan on that. They're already going to be right up against that luxury tax threshold. And, you know, as I've often said, if you're going to be under the luxury tax, be under the luxury tax. I fucking hate it. But if that's what you're going to do, be under it. If you're going to be over it, you might as well blow it away. There's really no point in being $5 million over, for example, especially in a team that really isn't a window to win right now. So Chapman, interesting story, interesting storyline. Something to watch uh, going because, I mean, honestly, when's the last time that the Yankees didn't have? I mean, Rivera, they went right from Rivera to uh, Rafael Soriano was the closer of the year. Rivera got hurt and then Rivera retired and they traded for Chapman. And, I mean, when's the last time the Yankees didn't have an elite closer? 1994 before John Wetland was the – I mean, that's a long time. So Well, and if Chapman doesn't come back, there's still an option for an elite closer. Zach Britton is still very good. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not like they're hurting if Chapman leaves. It's just you're one guy shorter, and now the likes mm -hmm. of Jonathan Holder have to pitch again. Right. You can shoot him to the moon like Well, yesterday. I'm still going to hold my faith in Johnny Lasagna. I, know I said was, Jonathan Holder, not Johnny I know, Lasagna. but I'm talking about relievers that could emerge, I guess. Johnny Lasagna yeah. would be... I don't know. Maybe it's the 99-mile-an-hour fastball. Maybe it – I don't know. But I love his stuff. I love his ability. It just hasn't been harnessed, and, you know, like we kind of saw against the Twins and a little bit against the Astros, 95-mile-an-hour fastballs down the middle tend to go really far away very quickly. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. The bullpen is definitely a topic. On that note, I, I think we're just going to pretty much mention this, but pitching coach-wise, yeah, Larry Rothschild is gone. Finally. Finally. Sorry to Larry Rothschild. I guess I shouldn't celebrate somebody. Make pitches. That's right. That's literally the only thing he said when he would go to the mound. <laughs> I mean, I know he's had some guys that he's helped make better, but I think I look around the league and I see guys like Kirby Yates excelling without him. I see guys coming here all the time, James Paxton, Sonny Gray, going through struggles that they have good stuff. Then, okay, Dylan Batanza struggled for a while. How does that happen? Like somebody with that level of stuff should not struggle as Whoa. much as he did. Chad Green early in Chad the year. Green early in the year. The other fucking guy fixed him. The guy down in the minor leagues. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, he was a problem, like a big problem. And finally, he's going away. Thank the Lord. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to pretend to know who the replacements are or what about him. I know that the Yankees want to go even more new school than anything they've ever seen, uh, which is cool. Um, I'm always pro more information, stuff like that. The name I had mentioned when they said a pitching coach job was available was David Cohn, and that's solely because I know his name, I know he can pitch, and I hear him talk on the broadcast, and he says some stuff that sounds interesting. But, I mean, I'm not nearly smart enough to know this. So the Yankees have been prioritizing college coaches. Chris Ritter from uh, Michigan has gotten an interview. The pitching coach at Arkansas has gotten an interview, but it sounds like they think he's going to stay there. I mean, we'll talk more about it once he gets here, but it sounds like they want pitching lap. Like, the Trevor Bauer stories of the pitching lab, that's what the Yankees want to employ. So I'm for it, though. I mean, that's 
whatever cheating yeah. voodoo magic bullshit the Astros they should, have, it seemed to have helped them. They should throw all their money at the Astros pitching coach. There you go. Steal them from him. Steal them from him and bring Garrett Cole over. There we go. And then we'll just make the entire pitching rotation phenomenal. I'm with it. All right, let's see if that happens. So we've got that in line. Don't uh, bank on it. Yeah, don't <laughs> no, don't bank on that. Um, let's see. What were, what else were we supposed to talk about today? We had Chapman. We had the pitching coach stuff. I know we wanted to talk about Paxton. We had one other thing too. That was going to be after that. It was going to be a decision of. Uh, oh sure, okay. So let's go to James Paxton. And this is going to be kind of the theme. So we're going to go through Brian Cashman's off-season acquisitions. And James Paxton was really the first one. They traded Justice Sheffield and two other prospects for the Big Maple. Uh, they brought him in to be a top-of-the-rotation starter. His last start kind of showed you his mentality, his emotion, his ability to pitch in the big moment. Six innings, very good against the Houston Nationals team, facing Justin Verlander and facing elimination. Uh, he's got some nasty stuff. He throws in the mid-90s with his fastball, his knuckle curveball, his cutter. He's got a changeup. His postseason – uh, he had the one good start, like I mentioned. He had an average start game one against the Minnesota Twins. First playoff game, he lasted about four and a third. Uh, I don't want to knock him too much for innings just because I know the Yankees are going to be or were going to be aggressive with their bullpen through the postseason. Uh, so I don't want to ding him too much for that. But his next start against the Astros, game two, was legitimately bad. Uh, no command of his fastball, no command of any of his pitches, really, to be honest with you. And I know that some people gave Booney a lot of shit for it, but honestly, if Boone lets him fight through that, Aaron Judge hits a home run later in the game that in the game gave the Yankees a 2-1 lead. If he lets Paxton fight through, the score is probably 5-2 in favor of the Astros. So pulling him in that game gave him a chance to win the game. Really a tale of two hats for James Paxton. So, I mean, you go into, you know, the first part of the year, he has some good starts and you know, some inconsistencies. He had a knee injury that bothered him a little bit, and he has struggled with injuries in his career. But then there was really a turning point. So which was that? It was after the start in Boston where he went, what, two and a third, four and a third, something he like ended that. Up, I think he ended up eating some innings, but yeah. he got bombed. Yeah, Mookie was, Betts hit like the first or it, second pitch of the game. And it was the, the night that Betts hit three home runs yes. over the monster. Yep, like, and two but, of them off Paxton. Yeah. I think he went four and a third, and after that, it was the shortest start he made was five innings. But in that start, he had 11 Ks. So that second half dominance that he showed was actually really big for New York going down going down the stretch because, you know, we had the issues with Domingo and then other injuries in the pitching staff. You had to find a guy that was consistent, and he finally showed up. He showed that he could pitch in New York because it's always a talking point. Can it's, this guy pitch in New York? Blah, it's blah, fucking blah. stupid, too. But. Yeah, but you know what? He put that to rest, though. He can pitch in New York for, you know, everyone that wants to say that. It was a big knock on Sonny Gray. It wasn't That wasn't Sonny Gray's problem, though. The problem with Sonny Gray was Larry Rothschild was asking him to throw his worst pitch yep. a bunch, and he couldn't do it. That's Sonny Gray didn't – Whatever, I'm not going to go on that rant. I can't do it. Yeah, no, Paxton, I thought, you know, if you had had me give him a grade, I guess we'll do that with some of those. I'd give Gat or uh, Paxton a B plus. Uh, stopping him from an A was just the inconsistencies. Some of that was because of his injury. Some of that is because that's just kind of what Paxton is. Now, here's the big question, because the analytics community, the people that strictly read fan graphs, will tell you James Paxton is an ace. Is James Paxton an ace? No. No, I don't, no. I don't think On a either. World Series winning team, he's your 
three. I would say he's a, I think he's number two starter. I think that's fair. I'm also looking at the Yankees rotation too at that point because Sevy would be your two. I don't think that we can anoint Severino as the guy of the pitching staff yet. No, and I mean it's so, real, I think it's a fair question going into next season as to I know Severino's got the stuff. I know he's got mm-hmm. and we've seen it, but is Severino that guy? But I mean guys, when we're talking aces you got to understand. So here's kind of where I'm bringing that from. Cause I've argued with some of the guys on Twitter and I know James Paxson's got a great strikeout rate. And I know all those things that make him a very intriguing pitcher. Uh, but that being said, your aces are guys like Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and pitchers like, and they're so rare. That's why like when somebody says, Oh, go get an ace. Like when everybody was bitching at the trade deadline that the Yankees didn't go get an ace. Well, Marcus Stroman's not even fucking close to an ace. First of all, and some of the Trevor Bauer, like, I mean, Trevor Bauer is great, but Trevor Bauer legitimately sucked when he went to Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, though. he was terrible. But Trevor Bauer's still good. Oh, yeah, very but good. But he's not an ace. You have what? If I'm going off the top of my head, now this is top of my head, so I'm probably going to miss a couple. Let's be honest here. But you get Verlander, Cole, Scherzer, Strasburg, Walker Bueller. Yeah, Bueller. I'm still going to throw Kershaw, Kershaw. in there because he's still good. But yep. Is that really it? Like, off the might, top of my yeah, head? Yeah, it might be. I mean, just going, again, I mean, off the top. So, apologies if we missed anything. But, like, look at some of the dudes the Yankees were connected to the trade deadline. Marcus Stroman, <laughs> nothing special. He's a good pitcher. He's a good number four starter. Yeah, he's a good pitcher. Like, I'm not going to take that away from Marcus Stroman. He's a good pitcher. but And I know Stroman kind of mocked this... the whole Cashman. We thought he would be in the bullpen thing. But really think about it. If Sevy comes back. And Herman is able to pitch in the postseason. If at Herman, the time they yeah, thought he was going, which to they be. thought he was going to, so then your rotation. Tell me which pitcher is Marcus Stroman better than between James? Is he better than James Paxton? No. Is he better than Luis Severino? No. Is he better than Masahiro Tanaka? No. Is he better than Domingo Herman? No. No. There you go. So he was a bullpen guy. That simple. And I don't ever want to hear well, about Dallas Keuchel ever again. And not to mention that the Mets gave away their two, two best pitching the, prospects. The Mets gave away two 16-year-old prospects to get him and then turn around and ask New York for David Garcia. Mm-hmm. The Yankees for David Garcia. When you gave up... Future Cleveland even... Indian David Garcia. Francisco Lindor. Hey. <laughs> but, no, my my point is, like, we, we didn't want to meet the Blue Jays' offer, so what makes you think that we were going to meet the Mets' offer? And for, I don't think that was ever like, serious. The Mets will never trade with the Yankees. The Yankees could have the second coming of. They could offer Jason Dominguez, the Martian, or yeah, my dude, sixteen. They could offer him about. tomorrow for who's like Stephen Matz. Yeah, and they would say no because they don't want to see Stephen Matz help the Yankees win a World Series. Other other connected pitchers, Zach Wheeler and Noah Syndergaard, both were Never connected. A chance, but yeah. You, yeah, you weren't going to get them. Nope. So you can disregard the Mets. <laughs> Stroman was eh, whatever. So you can't complain about that. So aces are in such rarefied air that, you know, I think that to call James Paxton a good number two starter, I think is fair. I think if he's, and again, if you tell me next October that our game one and game two starters are Garrett Cole and James Paxton, sign me the hell up. And I am with it. And and I'll be completely honest with you. If I'm making the rotation and it's Garrett Cole, it's Garrett Cole and Masahiro Tanaka. Well, I mean, because Masahiro Tanaka in the postseason is fucking nails a dog. Like yeah. he, yeah. 
I don't get it because you watch his starts during the regular season. It's like, okay, he throws a cement mixer that gets hit for a 480-foot home run. Mm-hmm. But yet, when it comes to the postseason, there's just something different, and he's locked in on every single pitch and makes every single pitch he has to he's make. He's been legitimately good in every postseason start he's had for the Yankees, except for one, and that was game four of the ALCS. And he was probably average in that start. He yeah. was okay. I mean, but when you're carrying into that game with, like, point seven yeah he was, or whatever he was it was phenomenal. like yeah but back to your point of you know you said it way earlier now that you know you're not going to knock Paxton for his postseason innings we can talk about Tanaka I mean he got pulled after six innings of 69 pitches like that that goes to prove that New York wanted to use the bullpen so bad that this man is spinning a legit gem mm-hmm. and they're like, and it was nah, four you're to nothing done. When they're exactly. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of room for error, and they're just like, nah, yeah. you're done. So that was one of the mistakes I don't think was talked about enough. Was that, and it was less about, you know, preserving Tanaka or whatever. It was just so because that night Chad Green came in, Adovino pitched, uh, I believe everybody except for Chapman. I don't remember if Chapman pitched. No, Chapman didn't pitch the ninth because Johnny Lasagna did. Yeah. So every one of the four horsemen pitched, and Chad Green. Except for Chapman, but he had to get up though, because before that's the, right, because lasagna was it was having... they were double barreled with lasagna and and uh, Chapman. correct that's so, right. So I mean, he still had to warm up. That's another thing, and another thing that's not talked about a lot is in these postseason series, the less they get to see certain guys, the yep. better. So in that game. If you let Tanaka ride, mm-hmm. they don't get to see Adovino and Britton and Green and Canely. You know, they don't get to see those guys an extra time. One extra night, yep. So, I mean, I think back to, do you remember the 2002 World Series when the Giants played the Angels? Yeah. And for a while, they had that bullpen of, they had, I think it was Tim Worrell, Felix Hernandez, and Rob Nen. And the Angels just saw those guys night after night after night after night. And then they needed a big comeback in game six to force a game seven. And they did. And I think that was part of it. You know, those are the effects of seeing the same people that often in that short of a series. Eventually it becomes very common to see. Yeah, Tommy Canley's changeup is nasty. But when you see it night after night after night after night, then you kind of know a little bit more at least about when it's coming and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, ultimately, I think when you get to it is I gave Paxton a B plus. Would you grade him higher or lower or the same thing? Yeah, I'd just put him at a B. Yeah, I know? think that's fair. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't bad, obviously, because we're giving him a higher grade scale. But, I mean, there were some legit concerns where you were looking at it like, okay, if this continues to plague him, you know, yeah, I mean, how's he, it going to get fixed? ERA is ERA, and it's not the most thing. But, I mean, his ERA was damn near five at one point during the season. Yeah. And, again, like, I mean, that's not a great indicator of his success. But at the same time, it matters a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if you're giving up five runs a game, that's not positive, yeah, no. to say the very least. So um, It's just one of those things where – you saw the flashes of greatness, mm-hmm. you know, the tw- the 12 strikeout game, the 11 strikeout game that he yeah, had. His eight inning start where he just it, shoved it up Boston. Ass yeah, at home. The season. That was you know, those are the flashes of greatness. You're not going to get those every night, nope. but you want to see more of those than more of the two and a third, four and a third. Had to struggle to get through five, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, a pitcher with stuff like this, there's just a few too many clunkers for me to say. 
he's a legitimate ace. Yeah. So I think that's where we'll leave that. But overall, I mean, Justice Sheffield was not good for the Mariners this year. Uh, the other guys aren't making a whole lot of noise that were in that trade either. So is what it is uh, in that regard. And frankly, I mean, Paxton was worth the trade for if the Yankees were able to finish the comeback and go to the world series, Paxton was worth that trade from his game five start alone. So hopefully next year, second year in New York, he's able to stay healthy. He's a little more acclimated and hopefully he's the number two starter on the scene uh, behind Garrett Cole. Please. And thank you. Hal Steinbrenner. Speaking of Garrett Cole, I suppose I just kind of gave my fucking answer there, so that's super. <laughs> but uh, Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg is kind of a debate, maybe not the right word, but I mean, I think it's very clear that Garrett Cole is going to be at the top of the rotation, or at the t- excuse me, I'm hoping that's the case, but <laughs> at the top as far as free agent lists go for a lot of teams. Steven Strasburg has an opportunity to opt out of his contract on. Uh, Honestly, after being the fucking World Series MVP and just wonderful in the playoffs, he'd be a fool not to. I think he would be a fool not to. And Scott Boris is his agent, so do the math uh, very quickly there. The question that is kind of surfacing, is there any part of you that would say, you know what, I would rather have Strasburg than Garrett Cole? No. No? Okay. No. Um is there a choice where I can just say I want both? Uh, that would be some. Okay, so somebody said earlier that would be like the equivalent to CC Sabathia and AJ Burnett. No, it would uh, be better. that would be like if they signed CC Sabathia, and I'm trying to think of another big free agent pitcher in the same offseason or something like that. But that would be insane. CC Sabathia and AJ Burnett would be if they signed Garrett Cole and then Zach Wheeler. Because Zach Wheeler is a little more, from a contract standpoint, I think will be a little more equivalent to AJ Burnett than Strasburg is yeah. going to break 100 million. Cole's going to break 200 million. Strasburg is going to break 100. I would bet he gets, you know, four for 120 or something like that. Well, it, his contract, if he doesn't opt it out, is four for 100. Yeah, so, so I bet he they, has to go over 100, or otherwise oh, yeah. it's a waste of an opt out. Yeah, exactly. He's probably going to get. 150 to 175 be interesting to see just because you think of like okay so we've talked about garrett cole suitor so the yankees you imagine andy martino has reported that the yankees will be in on him how serious that is remains to be seen last year they were supposed to be in on patrick corbin and god damn it world series hero patrick corbin (sighs) what can you say um world series hero patrick corbin uh and then they Claim they didn't make an offer, and then Cashman said they did make an offer, and who knows. But we've talked about some of those suitors. So the Yankees, you imagine, the Angels, and then some people, I mean, you know, they just kind of throw in some obvious names. The Dodgers, the Red Sox, that maybe the Astros, you could go back there. I don't think the Cubs will be in on him. One team that, and I'm sure that my friends over at the Sons of Hanarchy podcast will love this, but the White Sox should certainly be in on one of these two guys if they were to become available too. And they should also be in on Anthony Rendon. But that's another point. The suitors is where it gets interesting because leverage matters. And if you have, you know, 10 teams vying for your services, then you have more leverage than if four teams are vying for your services. And it helps when the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Angels, your big market teams are involved. So, but you say there's nothing there. I tend to agree. I know that, 
you know, Strasburg has been, we talked about Tanaka being money in the playoffs. Strasburg yeah. has been like money, money, money in the playoffs. He's been phenomenal. <sighs> He's been everything that the number one pick could be. I still hate that the Nationals sat him and punted on a chance to win the World Series seven years ago. But them winning the other night doesn't make that right either. Let's just make that very clear. Winning the other night did not make that right and the correct decision. They still punted on a chance to win the World Series. But nonetheless, he came back. They did it. I'm happy for Max Scherzer. I'm happy for Patrick Corbin. I'm happy for Rendon. The Nationals really do have a lot. Juan Soto. And I'm mostly happy that the Astros didn't win the World Series. I I think that. And I'm sure that some of this is Yankee bias and they, you know, the Yankees haven't been able to beat them and all that sort of, but I find the Astros to just be incredibly unlikable. Uh, and I have, I don't know. I mean, I don't care about Bregman bringing his bat to first base, you know, I'm pro celebrations, but I don't know. I want to hate it. Like I want to sound like the get off my lawn guy and hate it, but I, I don't, but I don't know. I just find them to be very arrogant. And when you win, I guess that's kind of the afforded luxury that you have. I mean, I'm sure that plenty of people find the Yankees arrogant, and that's fine. But that's going to do it for this episode. We want to thank Portillo's, the unofficial sponsor, once again, for not sponsoring this podcast. But I'm sure, like I mentioned earlier, you'll take the free marketing. Follow the show on Twitter, guys. Thanks to you guys that have reached out to us. We are at BronxBrothers28. You follow the YouTube channel, which is also the Bronx Brothers. Find us, like, subscribe. All that kind of stuff. We'll be here all off-season long. Uh, We're actually going to put another episode together on Sunday, probably before the Packers game, if we're being honest. We're both Packers fans, too. So Packers football definitely takes priority after the Yankee season's over. Um, So we'll kind of see how that goes and where we're going to – but we'll have it put together. Uh, We're actually going to be talking about Zach Britton, uh, his season in the Bronx, and then we'll kind of dig in a little bit on the Didi Gregorius news and obviously any news that breaks between now and then you can follow him he is at a westendorf 85 and you can follow me i am at jacob westendorf thank you guys for listening to the bronx brothers